the most important part, part of the morning now. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Today we are going to read verses 1 to 5 of this passage as we, as we continue to consider the wisdom of the cross. Here's what Paul says. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Some of you might know the name Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo is a Japanese organizing consultant. She might be the leading voice in the multi-billion dollar industry of decluttering our lives. Marie Kondo's most famous book is The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up which really is just one of dozens of books that you could read on the topic of how to declutter your life. There are books like The Joy of Less or Clutter-Free Living or one of my personal favorite books, I actually read it almost every January to start the year, is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. There are a lot of books out there to help you to declutter your life, to to organize your closet, to turn your junk drawer into usable space, and to pursue the holy grail of decluttering, which is keeping your inbox at zero, right? Everybody craves that. But the reason that there are so many books on these things, the reason why the decluttering industry is so big is because most of us have a lot of clutter in our lives. We all have a lot of stuff. Friend, how does your clothes closet look at home? How how organized is your desk drawer? Can you walk through your garage without having to do gymnastics to do so? If you open your trunk to your car or the door to your attic, what falls out on you threatening your life? How cluttered is your life? Let me ask a very different question. Let me ask a much, much, much more important question. How cluttered is your soul? How cluttered is your soul? This is a very important question because although, as Marie Kondo says, the the decluttering of your closet may bring you some amount of joy, church, the decluttering of your soul will bring you ultimate joy. See, See, the apparent wisdom of all the decluttering books out there is that they remind us that 90% of the stuff that we have in our lives is, is unnecessary and unhelpful and that we will be happier if we get rid of the 90% and only live off of the 10%. And friends, I don't know whether that's really true about our belongings, but I strongly believe that, is, that that is true for our souls. The main idea for our message this morning is this. 
The simplicity of the cross is all that we need. The simplicity of the cross is all that we need. And we have three points this morning. Number one, Jesus was crucified. Number two, nothing else matters. Number three, rest in this. Jesus was crucified. Nothing else matters. Let's rest in this. Let's begin with point number one. Jesus was crucified. Look look at verses one and two with me. Paul says in verses one and two, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We, We see here, That that Paul has resolved, he has decided within himself for his ministry to know nothing else but this one thing. And church, we're going to consider in a moment the, the disciplined simplicity of Paul's thinking here, how focused he is. But first of all, we need to consider the the focus or the object of Paul's thinking. What is the one thing that he is resolved to know more than anything else? What is it? Well, we see what it is in verse 2, right? He says, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I want to ask a question. What is it about the crucifixion and Paul? Well, what is it about the cross that Paul is so obsessed with in this section of 1 Corinthians? I mean, so far in this letter, in just over a chapter of this letter, We've seen Paul mention the cross or the crucifixion multiple times over. It's the focus of this entire section. But church, aren't there other parts of the Christian faith that that Paul could be getting excited about? Why doesn't he say, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and his righteousness? Or I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That seems pretty important. Or I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and his teaching or his good example. Why is Paul so obsessed with the cross? And many people have this question. Many people wonder whether we as Christians are are supposed to be as as cross-centered in our theology as we are. Many would say, isn't being that cross-centered a little bit too sin and judgment-centered? What about focusing on the victory of Christ over the grave? Christus victor. Or what about focusing on the example of Christ? Christus exemplar. Aren't those good things to celebrate? But listen, friends. Though the cross is is certainly not the only thing that we are supposed to value in our our faith. Because after all, Paul gives an entire chapter in this very letter to the glory of the resurrection. And he talks about many other things as well. But still... It is very clear from Paul's writing that the cross is supposed to be at the center of our thinking as Christian men and women. Why? Well, because the cross was at the center of God's plan of redemption from the very beginning. Yes, we need his victory over the grave. We need his resurrection and we should celebrate it loudly. But listen, if Jesus just died and was just raised from the dead, he would just be another Lazarus, another man to wonder at the miracle that had been done. There's nothing about the resurrection alone that helps us. 
Yes, we need Jesus' example of holiness and righteousness and his example of how to live a full life. But if Jesus had only given us a good example to follow without dealing with our greatest need, which is our own sinfulness, then you and I would be no better off this morning. It is the cross which is at the center of God's plan. And it's the cross that, that really is the greatest summary of what God has done for us through the gospel, his life, death, and resurrection. And friends, we know that the cross is central in part because we have seen God's plan to use the cross throughout all of Scripture, right? We call the theology of the cross Penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement is the, is the theological belief that God would substitute His Son into our place in order to receive the penalty. That's where the word penal comes from. To receive the penalty that we deserved for our sin. And church, we can see penal substitutionary atonement throughout all of Scripture. Remember with me all the way back in the book of, of Genesis, when Adam and Eve first fell into sin, God immediately promised that he would one day defeat Satan. But then what also did he do in that moment? He went and he killed animals in order to make clothes, in order to cover the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve. That's penal substitutionary atonement. The lamb died. They were covered. Think about Genesis 22 when Abraham is about to, to sacrifice his son in obedience to God, but then God stays his hand and says, Abraham, there's a lamb, there's a ram over in the bush. Sacrifice that instead. That's penal substitutionary atonement. Think about the book of Exodus. Think about the book of Exodus and specifically the, the final plague that God sent against Pharaoh. The, the angel of death was coming to Egypt and it was going to take the life of all of the firstborn sons. But the Israelite families could be spared of this severe judgment if they killed a substitute. If they killed a lamb and put its blood on the doorposts of the house, which if you connect the dots, makes a cross. The lamb died and the firstborn sons were spared. Penal substitutionary atonement. Think about Leviticus 16 and the, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement became Israel's centerpiece within their calendar year. What happened on the Day of Atonement? All of the sins, all of the transgressions, all of the iniquities of the people were figuratively transferred to the head of two goats and both of those goats died. Why? To make atonement, to pay the price, to make peace between God and Israel, to pay the price that they deserve to pay. Think about the prophets of the Old Testament. Think about the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 when he prophesies about the suffering servant and how God's son would hang on a cross to pay the price that we deserved. Think about the gospel accounts, the, the historical gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The, the gospel accounts certainly spend a good amount of time looking at the life and the teaching and, and the example of, of Jesus, but there is an inordinate amount of space in the historical accounts given to recalling what happened to Jesus in the final week of his life and specifically what happened to him on the cross. Why? Because the cross is the centerpiece of God's work for humanity. Think about the glorious letter to the Romans. Paul's theological treaty. It is profound on so many levels. But right at the center of it, in Romans chapter 3, he says that we have this gift of salvation 
through Jesus Christ, whom God put forward, listen, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul, Paul doesn't say in the midst of that theological treaty, he doesn't say that God's grace comes to us as a gift through the empty tomb, though that's a true statement. No, he chooses rather to focus on the cross and on the blood of Jesus. Think about the other epistles throughout the New Testament and how often they speak of the cross. Maybe the biggest focus in maybe my favorite book of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, the biggest focus is probably on the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus for his people. Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Think about 1 John, the letter of 1 John. John says in, in chapters 1 and 2 that it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin and that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. This is penal substitutionary atonement. Friends, think about the very end of the story. Think about the book of Revelations when we are in heaven together. We are going to be experiencing the, the power of the resurrection in fullness. We will have new resurrected bodies. But even then, what will we never stop doing? It says that we will never stop proclaiming the praises of the Lamb who was slain. Church, all of this shows why Paul is so obsessed with the cross. He won't move beyond it. It shows why he's resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it is the cross where God dies for sinful man. That God accomplishes his greatest work for humanity. The resurrection seals and confirms this work but the work of the cross is where the wrath of God that you deserve for your sins was turned away from you and put on Christ this is what the cross does Paul focuses on the cross so much because the cross is God's divine solution to our greatest problem and again it's it's not that Paul doesn't care about the resurrection or about Jesus' teaching or his righteousness or his example, but it seems that speaking of the cross is, in at least Paul's mind, the greatest way to summarize the work that God has done for us through the whole gospel. It's the focus. The cross is the centerpiece of what God has done for the church. And that brings us to our second point. Point number one, Jesus was crucified. Point number two, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Look again at verse 2 with me. Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Church, I don't know if you are uh, people who, who write in your Bibles, but if you do write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to grab your pen and to go to that word nothing in verse 2 and underline that word. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, emphasize it, draw arrows around it, pointing back towards it. Why? Because that word nothing is key in this text. For Paul the Apostle, for Paul the Apostle to say that he will know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's a really big statement. Paul the Apostle is a highly intelligent man. His knowledge base is vast. He could talk about anything he wanted to. He had a lot to say. And so for him to resolve, to decide to know nothing among them, to prioritize nothing else among them, to focus on nothing else among them, to communicate about nothing else among them in as big a way, this is such a significant thing. Paul is wanting 
to help you and I cut out all of the clutter and to focus on what is of first importance. But Paul is, Paul is exercising a, a disciplined pursuit of less in his life. A disciplined pursuit of simplicity of mind and of, and of thought. Paul wants to cut out all of the clutter and to focus on the main thing. Now, now does that mean that Paul had no knowledge of anything else? Or that he, he never spoke about anything else? Did Paul walk around with, with fingers in his ears saying, no, I only talk about Jesus and the cross. Oh, you're talking about sports? Nope, sorry, only Jesus for me. Oh, you're talking about politics or your vacation? Nope, only, only Jesus for me. No, that can't be what Paul means here because Paul speaks about many other things with the Corinthians in this very letter. He talks about unity. He talks about leadership. He talks about sexual purity. He talks about the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. And those things are not specifically about Jesus and the cross. And so Paul can't just mean that he refuses to talk about anything or to think about anything other than the cross. But then what does it mean? But what this means is that Paul refuses to prioritize anything other than the cross. Nothing is as important. Nothing is as foundational for Paul as Jesus and him crucified. Paul is saying the only thing that he really wants them to get through all of his communication with them is the importance of the cross and the implications of the cross on their lives. This is Paul's policy for his pastoral ministry, to prioritize Christ and his cross above everything else. And church, we actually see him practicing this conviction about his ministry as we look at the verses that surround verse 2. Look at verse 1. He says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. And then look at verses 3 and 4. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my words were not implausible words of wisdom. There seems to be a lot of intentionality on Paul's part here not to clutter up their lives with needless things. He says, I did not come to you with lofty speech and wisdom. Why? Well, because you don't need to clutter up your life with a lot of shine and polish. No, you need the simplicity of the cross, Paul says. He, he willingly admits that he was with them in weakness and in fear and much trembling and that his words were not implausible words of wisdom. Church, that's an amazing verse. That's, that's a remarkably encouraging verse. Paul the apostle doesn't try to polish himself up. He doesn't try to hide his weakness from being seen by the church. He doesn't try to come in and appear like Superman to the Corinthian Christians. No, he intentionally, strategically acknowledges that he is not an impressive man in himself. Why? Well, because he does not need to, the clutter of simply acting a part in his life. He doesn't need to, the clutter of empty bravado in his pastoral ministry. 
He doesn't need the clutter of acting as if he's someone he's not. All he wants is the simplicity of the cross for himself and for the people that he is caring for. And that comes best when he cuts out all of the clutter of his own attempts at being strong and when he cuts out all of the the polish and the flash and the eloquence that ultimately only detracts and steals from the simple message of the cross. Nothing else matters, he says. Why? Well, because you can have all of the eloquence in the world. You can be the most powerful person in the world. You can be the CEO of your company. You can have the biggest social media following among your friends. You can have all of the outward beauty and polish that this world celebrates. But if you don't know how to find forgiveness for your sins... If you don't know about the work of Jesus on the cross, which will give you life, then you have nothing, church. The cross is of first importance. Without it, we have nothing to stand on. And so Paul wisely, lovingly resolves to prioritize nothing else but the cross. He's like an organizing consultant for our souls. If you read Marie Kondo's book, you will read about horror stories about certain clients who had acquired so much stuff in their house that they couldn't even see the floor. And by the time Marie Kondo helps them to organize, they they have filled hundreds of garbage bags filled with their belongings that that they did not need. Church, Paul is wanting to help us to declutter our souls. You know, I have a very real fear for my own soul. I have a very real fear for your soul. And I have a very real fear for our church together. My my fear is that our souls will look a whole lot like that junk drawer at home. That junk drawer that when you open it up, anything could pop out. Right? You open that junk drawer and you might find 300 pens, half of them without any more ink in them at all. You might find five cords for your phone without a single block to plug them into the wall, right? You might find old papers, you might find old keys, you might find old gift cards. I found a gift card in my desk that had a dollar and 16 cents on it. Why, why did I keep that? Why, why am I holding on to them? You might find empty checkbooks, empty matchbooks, old batteries. Have you ever seen the meme that is out there? Uh, I love this meme. It says, I don't know who needs to hear this, but you can go ahead and throw away your old iPhone box. You really don't need it. (laughs) There's a lot of truth in that statement. I think I have like seven old iPhone boxes. They're so nice. You just, I'm going to use this someday. I need to hold on to this. Church, our souls are so often like our junk drawers, and it's not good. I don't know about you, but when I open up a junk drawer, I experience a high level of anxiety very quickly. If I don't find what I need in that junk drawer, I try to quick close it very quickly because I become overwhelmed by it. Church, that's what our souls are like. We start thinking about what we are called to in this life, what we should prioritize, what we should value, what we should pursue with ourselves and with our families. And there are so many things cluttering our priorities, so many things that are calling for our attention. Work harder, they say. Be successful, they say. Be a better spouse, they say. Be a better mom, they say. Be a better friend, they say. Make your home beautiful, they say. Drive a nicer car, they say. They say, be up to date on all world events. Carry the burdens, not just for your own immediate community, but for the entire world. Friends, 
Can I just say something about the news and about social media? It's not serving our souls. There are certain things in our world, some of them going on right now, that we should track, but we don't need to know about every car accident and every hurricane that has happened in the world over the last seven days. Our souls were not made to handle that. And Paul is encouraging us this morning to declutter our souls, to value the simplicity of the cross, to clear everything else away, and to make this our one priority. Now, friends, there there are many implications of the cross. Paul is going to speak to us throughout this letter about many areas of life that we should submit to God's word. But our souls will be happier if we stop thinking about all of the worldly priorities for what is best and if we focus only on the cross. Church, this is why we need to be in God's word every day. This is why we need to be in God's word every day, and this is why we need to gather as a church every week. When when we read God's word in our devotions and when we gather on Sunday mornings, it might feel like we are hearing the same message over and over again. But what is happening is that God is decluttering our souls for us. Reading God's word, singing songs together, praying together, sitting under the preached word of God together every week. All of these things are ways that God declutters the drunk drawer of our lives and reminds us of what is of first importance. Christ and him crucified. And when that happens, even though there will still be many things going on in our lives, we're going to be able to rest and we're going to be able to find greater joy in him and throughout our lives. That brings us to our third point. Number one, Jesus was crucified. Number two, nothing else matters. And number three, church, let's rest in this. Let's rest in this. Verse five, verse five reveals Paul's intentionality in what he's writing here. Uh, He says all that he says, and then he says this final sentence, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying that he he chose intentionally to speak in very simple terms. He used ordinary language with the Corinthian Christians. He even chose to brag about his own weakness for a very intentional reason. So that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He, He wants their faith Redeemer Fellowship, he wants our faith. He wants our confidence. He wants our peace today. He wants our joy this week. He wants our sense of purpose this month to rest in the right things. See, see, many of us, many of us would not have done ministry like Paul did ministry. If you and I came into Corinth for the first time as missionaries, we would have tried to enter into the cultural values of that time. Uh, We would have tried to to preach in a way that sounded a lot like the culture around us. We would have tried to to really be eloquent and maybe very funny for our audience. We would have tried to, to have shiny and bright lights that make people feel like they're part of something really powerful and amazing to win them over. And I think that that many of us, I certainly can, can wonder why Paul doesn't do that. If a little more eloquence, if a little more lofty speech from Paul would have convinced more people then why not do those things? But what we actually see here is that Paul 
is loving these Christians by not allowing the culture to determine how the message of the cross is delivered. Paul is saying that these Christians, Paul is loving these Christians by refusing to let them think that the cross is in any way improved or made more beautiful if it comes with light and fog. But Paul wants the mode of his preaching to reflect the content of his preaching. That the cross is not a pretty thing. It's where a man died. He was beaten. His flesh was torn. Jesus emptied himself of all glory. He was beaten for you and I. He died for you and I. The gory cross does not look like anything that this world celebrates. And so to try to speak about it with worldly wisdom and eloquence actually distorts the message of the gospel. It contorts it in an unhelpful way. The message of the gospel is that greatness comes through humility. Salvation comes through Christ's servanthood. Forgiveness happens through the great king laying aside his lofty position of power in heaven and by entering into his lowly position here on earth. This is how our salvation was won for us. And so Paul lovingly refuses to speak of the cross in a way that contradicts that reality. To speak with needless, lofty speech and wisdom would have been unloving to these Corinthian Christians because they idolized these things in their culture. And so Paul would have been tying the message of Christ into a wrongful desire on their part, into self-sufficiency on their part. Now listen, it's not that we shouldn't seek to do everything well and that we shouldn't appreciate beautiful things and that eloquence is inherently evil. It's not that we shouldn't have a nice stage to, to stand on during church or, or new signage to direct us or coffee and cookies after the gathering or hopefully, by God's grace, a new building someday. It's not that those things are bad in and of themselves. It's that we should not assume that the cross is in any ways made better through those things. No, the gospel actually contradicts our comfort levels. It contradicts our ideas of what is powerful and good. The cross says that humility, not polish, not pride, is what wins the day. Jesus said to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. It's not through appearing the same as the world around us that we will love the world best. No, it's actually through looking different from the world that we will love the world best because then they will see that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's not through trying to have a, a Christian version of all the secular values out there. It's through saying no to that and trusting that God works through brokenness and trial in our lives to bring about the greatest good in our lives. Church, listen, that's exactly what the cross of Christ tells us. The darkest moment in all of human history is the greatest cause of good for all of humanity. And church, this is great news. This is great news for your soul this morning. This means that your rest your hope, your peace, your confidence, your joy, your purpose in life is not dependent on the world's definitions of success for you this week. No, your faith finds its rest in a path of pain and suffering. 
That's where your leader went, and that's where you're following him. Our faith finds its rest in a place that the world despises. And as uncomfortable as that sounds, that's good news for our souls. If you lose your job, you can find rest. If you don't have any money, you can find rest. If you have no friends, you can find rest. If you don't have worldly wisdom, you can find rest. If you get cancer, you can have rest. If your kids rebel and spit in your face, you can have rest. If your spouse mocks you for your faith, you can have rest. If your spouse divorces you outright, you can have rest. If you struggle with unwanted singleness, you can have rest. If you deal with infertility, you can have rest. If your nation is being invaded and war is breaking out all around you, you can have rest. Why? Because though the world says that you need all of these things and that those things are what make you happy, the cross of Christ says that God redeems our brokenness. That He uses what seems foolish in this world to shame the wise. He uses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He uses what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Some of you this morning feel low and despised in this world. Some of you feel empty and forgotten in this world. Lost and hopeless in this world. Some of you feel... Some of you have had the thought this week that if you disappear this afternoon, no one would ever notice. But the cross says that God uses what this world considers forgettable and he uses it to do eternal good. And you may not feel like anyone would notice if you were gone, but the cross says that God uses the moments of greatest loneliness, the greatest isolation, the moments of greatest abandonment to do his greatest work. That's what we see with Jesus hanging on the cross when his own father abandoned him there. Redeemer Fellowship, let's, let's declutter our souls this morning. Let's do away with all the extra. Let's throw away all of the, the worldly thinking that says that we cannot have peace and rest without whatever that one thing in your mind is right now. Let's clear out the clutter. Let's clear out the clutter of our souls and throw away any thought that says that the pain or the sorrow that we're going through is only bad, only evil, and we need to avoid it at all costs. The simplicity of the cross is all that we need because the simplicity of the cross says that in God's economy, humility and even pain leads to joy and to peace. Jesus was crucified. Nothing else matters. Redeemer Fellowship, let's rest in this. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you that you died for our sins. Thank you that you have made it so abundantly clear in your word that our souls need to remember this truth, that Christ died for our sins. Thank you that you rose from the grave, conquering sin and death once and for all. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would declutter souls in this room right now. That those who are just overwhelmed by circumstances, those that are overwhelmed by thoughts, their brain is unable to slow down right now because of everything they have going on in their lives. May you declutter it all and cause them to see the simplicity of the cross and to find their peace, their hope, their confidence in that place. And Lord, would you sustain them as they seek to live, not according to worldly wisdom, but in the shadow of the cross. 
Lord, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.